Welcome to the Multi-Purpose Room, a podcast helping school organizations and school administrations achieve their goals. Each episode discusses real-life topics that PTAs, PTOs, and school staff are dealing with. Our hosts and guests offer practical tips, learnings, and best practices to achieve their desired outcomes. Here are your hosts, Wesley and Deborah Jones. Food is a critical part of our daily lives, and we know it's a critical part of our children's development. In fact, we've all heard studies about how being hungry or malnourished can negatively impact children's abilities to learn. Yet, we don't talk about food much as PTA or PTO leaders. Even school administrators don't think much about school nutrition unless that's directly in their purview. Why is that? And And should we? Well, I recently had the opportunity to meet Andrew Cappy Kaplan, who's with Yummo, that's Rachel Ray's cooking and kids charity. And he really got me to thinking about how PTAs and PTOs can get involved and what we can even do as school administrators. There are a lot of opportunities. And so we asked him to come on the podcast today and share more about that so we could all be better educated and think about what we as school leaders can do in the school food space. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, my name's Andrew Kaplan, and a lot of people call me Cappy because it's a nickname and I work full-time with Rachel Ray and she calls me Cappy. So I got enough phone calls from people saying, Rachel told me to call and ask for Kathy, of which I said, no, that's Cappy and that's me. So I usually go by Cappy or you'll hear her reference me as Cappy. But I'm based here in Chicago. Uh, I'm a chef by trade. Um, I grew up in the food industry. My father worked on the wholesale side of the industry. My mother was like the chef of the house, always cooking like every day. Um, And I would always watch her and, you know, taste her food. Um, as I went, you know, through high school, a lot of people said I should go to culinary school. And, um, I was like, well, that's silly, you know, back in the nineties, that wasn't so cool. Um, so I wound up going to a regular university for a couple of years, at which time I, you know, saw some infomercials for a culinary program and wound up leaving that university. And I enrolled at the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. Um, and after the Culinary Institute of America, I went to school for uh, hotel and restaurant management, hospitality management at Florida International University. Shortly after that, I worked for the South Beach Wine and Food Festival, which at the time was one of very few wine and food festivals around the country, which nowadays you could find many in most cities. And that's where I met Rachel Ray, who I've worked full time with since 2006. So. I'll digress and tell you the the medium length story, but I um, have been making t-shirts myself for quite some time. I know you guys do the apparel thing. So I started making food t-shirts many years ago. And when I was working for the festival at the time, I had a shirt that was yellow and it said polenta in brown. And I went to go pick up Rachel Ray at the hospitality suite at the South Beach Wine and Food Festival. And she looked at me and said, ah, polenta, cool shirt. Where'd you get that? And I was like, I made it. And she's like, what do you mean you made it? I was like, oh, it's just a hobby. I make different food t-shirts. I have a blueberry one and a basil one and, you know, all different kinds. And she's like, well, can you make me one? I was like, yeah, of course. And so 
flash forward to five minutes later, I'm driving her down the beach in Miami in a golf cart heading to her culinary demonstration. And she was offering me money to start a t-shirt business. Um, I made her a t-shirt that said yummo, which is her signature phrase, which she wound up wearing on the inaugural cover of her magazine, which at the time was called Every Day with Rachel Ray. We kept in touch. I was actually teaching kids cooking classes at the time as I was working for the Wine and Food Festival. Um, I should say we started this event there that I helped head up called the Kids Kitchen, which was a full kid focused event at the festival. I was teaching cooking classes for kids. I was in my early to mid 20s at this point at a store in Coral Gables, Florida called Ars Majerica. And it was a super talented woman named Lourdes Castro, who I believe is a NYU professor now, if I'm not mistaken. But I, I went and taught some cooking classes, you know, in my free time. I was keeping Rachel up to speed on what I was doing. And this was at the time when she was starting her she was about to launch her magazine and soon launching her daytime television show under the, you know, Oprah CBS television umbrella. I wound up moving from Miami to New York in 2006 as her daytime television show started. I worked as an associate producer on the show on the culinary team while I was simultaneously starting her cooking and kids charity called the Yummo Organization. My work with Yummo increased. I started working a little less on the show and doing some, you know, personal projects for Rachel and her brand and stayed in New York for about four years or so, kind of getting the charity up and running, overseeing some projects and events and appearances for her. And I, as I mentioned, uh, I'm based in Chicago now. So my wife and I wound up moving back to Chicago in 2010. We've been here for about 12 years or so. A lot of my work pre-pandemic was on the road. So I was traveling, you know, one to three times a month to meet Rachel wherever she needed to be. Obviously didn't travel a ton during the pandemic and travel's picking up just a little bit now. But yeah, that's kind of how I got to my my role within the Rachel Ray, you know, and Rachel Ray Philanthropy organization. And there's this theme across your career of working with kids and kids cooking. So tell me more about what, what pointed you in that direction. You know, I don't, I, I have two older brothers and I, they like to remind me that when they would come home in college that I would be waiting up and cook them. Like I'd wake up at midnight and cook them food. I, I guess that's what happened. I was always into food. Um, Before that, um, I would be in the kitchen, as I would say, my mom always cooked. So my dad worked in the wholesale side of the food industry, as I mentioned. So he would come home not with like a pound of skirt steak or flank steak. He would come home with like a case of it. And my mom would be in the kitchen, like butchering and cleaning up this meat or whatever, you know, the food may be. Um, and I always remember pulling a chair. I mean, I could tell you what exactly what the chair looked like to this day. I remember pulling the chair up to the stove and she would make this kind of Asian sauce. It was like a Szechuan sauce, if you will, like a spicy brown sauce that she learned how to make at a botanic gardens cooking class in Chicago. It was amazing. It was delicious. And I remember standing on that chair and it had, you know, chicken stock and, and soy, garlic, ginger, it had sherry, it had orange, sesame. It was just like quintessential deliciousness. And I remember her having me take a little, you know, spoonful of it saying, is it good? Does it need more orange? Does it need more spices? Need more sherry? And I didn't know what she meant at all. Cooking shows, 
I mean, they were out, but I didn't like sit in front of the TV as a little kid watching them. And I would always say like, what do you mean? Does it need more? I, I don't know. What is that? You know? And now of course I understand what it means, but those are some of my early, you know, food memories. I remember my mom melting butter in a pan for scrambled eggs or something in the morning. That smell of melted butter is brings back a lot of memories for me. We were we like to dine out. We would always go with, you know, relatives to various restaurants across the suburbs of Chicago where I grew up or even to the city. So yeah, that's kinda I don't know. I just was like always into food, always surrounded by food. And like many families, family holidays were big gatherings centered around food, you know, and who's bringing what. And it was kind of like massive potlucks, you know, for all all holidays. Still is. Yeah. So creating those memories with others is is a great opportunity for you to kind of keep those memories alive and bring them to other families. That's really neat. hundred percent. You mentioned Yemo. So tell us about Yemo's mission. Yemo, Yemo's mission is threefold. We say the mission is to empower kids and their families to develop a healthier relationship with food and cooking. And that's a big, bold statement because it could go a hundred different directions. And sometimes I feel like it is going in a hundred different directions, but it all goes back to the core. There's three words that we help define it, cook, feed, and fund. And I'll take you through that really quick. The cooking component is kind of the educational component in providing families with tools or recipes or resources to have that relationship with food. I will say that component, which I'm sure we'll get into, has morphed more so into our school food work that we've done. Um, but I'll tell you, we, when we launched Yummo, we didn't have we had a lot of things on paper that we fine-tuned uh and and school food was not one of those things initially and i like to say within the first few years of a charity's life it takes quite a few twists and turns um you know usually for for the best you know you figure out who you are you know in a way um and then the second component feed is feeding hungry kids so from day one, we've worked with Share Our Strength, which some people may know as Share Our Strength and some people may know them as No Kid Hungry, uh, as well as Feeding America, which if you're a real old school person, you may know them as uh, America's Second Harvest, I think was their name. And they did a really huge rebranding in like, I don't know, two some 2000 something. So those are both, you know, anti-hunger groups. Uh, they're both national. They work with local organizations across the country. Um, Share Our Strength has hundreds, if not thousands of organizations that they work with in various communities, big and small. And then just to give you an idea of Feeding America on a national level, Feeding America under them has 200 food banks coast to coast. And then under those 200 food banks, there's over 60,000 soup kitchens and food pantries. So that's wow. the magnitude of what we're dealing with here of getting food out to the people who need it. And then the third pillar, so we have cook, we have feed and fund. The third pillar fund is our scholarship component. It's cooking education and scholarship, as we like to say. We have one main partner for that. It's the National Restaurant Association Educational Foundation. So that's a big National Restaurant Association, but they have this foundation arm called the Educational Foundation. 
Um, we've worked with some other groups and organizations in terms of the scholarship component, but they're, they've been an incredible partner to us. Uh, we've given away over a million dollars in scholarships. We've given away over 300 probably scholarships to public school kids uh, in high school who want to go into college to have a career in culinary, hospitality, tourism, you know, anything in the restaurant and food service world, if you will. And a lot of them like to have a uh, focus on nutrition, which is pretty cool too. Um, We act as guest judges quite often for a lot of those applicants. Um, So we get to read, you know, what they are up to and what they hope to be up to. Um, I just got a really cool report from them with about 10 or 20 of our past recipients and some of the things they're up to right now, which is really awesome. Always awesome to see. Um, and then we started a new program a couple of years ago with them called Grow Grants. Grow Grants is specifically for a program called ProStart. ProStart is a high school culinary curriculum run, I believe, don't quote me on the verbiage, but it's it's the National Restaurant Association Ed- Educational Foundation, I'll call just so it's a, it's a mouthful, the NRAEF. The ProStart is run by the NRAEF. They were in just a number of states when we initially partnered with them over 10 years ago. And ProStart is now in all 50 states, um, which is pretty cool. So I could only imagine if I was a high school kid and I got to you know study for my junior and senior year and everything was based around culinary, that'd be pretty awesome. And so Grow Grants is a program where we offer all the ProStar curriculums to apply for this mini grant. And they could be used for anything from new chef coats to new knives or utensils to a new stove in the kitchen to new textbooks. And there was even one that I used to help fund a food truck that they built that I believe helped service, you know, the community, which was pretty amazing. So those are our three pillars example or two in each of the pillars, but I should mention we have over 20 partners across the board. And some of those partners, we have one program and some of those partners, we may have like three to five programs going at any given time. Quite a wide network there, which is great because then you get to impact a lot of people. So with ProStart, and we'll get back to the the first pillar, but with ProStart, is that a grant for the schools themselves or is that a grant for the programs? The ProStart Grow Grants are grants for the the ProStart program within the school. Okay, got it. Um, so if any school has an existing ProStart program, they can apply for those grants. That's right, yeah. And they will have likely heard about it from the from the national office of ProStart that this, you know, Rachel Ray Yummo, you know, grant process is, is underway. So, and then they could, you know, apply at that time, which is a cool model that we've done in a number of our different spaces. We've done that with Feeding America. We've done that with a couple different organizations where we, you know, cast this opportunity out to their network and allow them to apply for these mini grants, which, you know, to someone or to some organization, $2,500 or $5,000 may not sound like a lot, but to um, a smaller organization, it's a ton. Yeah. And it can make a big impact. Like you said, I mean, it sounds like some creative things like food trucks are, yeah. are what comes out of those grants. And I think it's, students probably wouldn't have those opportunities otherwise. It's pretty cool. It, you know, and in, in just taking it a step back, 
so when we started this process, I reached out to former you know, deans and presidents and instructors of schools that I went to who constantly, you know, deal with high school students into college students. And, you know, I was under the assumption that we would need to be giving away these, you know, culinary schools. Some of them are not cheap. I was under the assumption we may be having to give away these 10, 15, $20,000 scholarships which is a lot of money and the more research and and we were looking to do it to sometimes freshmen, you know, or sophomore. And I don't have to tell you all, you know, how much a student's mind may change from when they're a freshman and think they want to be something to their, you know, to the time they're a senior. And the more and more intel I got back was Cappy look more towards junior and senior when they're starting to establish them self in the you know in that high school age and really thinking about what they want to do because freshman year a lot of students are not necessarily and furthermore you don't don't think you need to do these massive scholarships yes they're great and i would wish we could give them all a full ride to cia or johnson and wales or whatever but from a lot of the research and data we were collecting, it was a big portion of students were going to a culinary program at a local community college, which is fantastic. And at the time, again, don't quote me on this, but at the time, I think it was $2,500 a year, which was great. So that was the level that we had started at. And, you know, seeing these letters, every one of our recipients has written us a letter you know, about what the scholarship means. And some of these students thought they weren't going to be able to go to school, you know? And so when you get a letter saying, you actually provided me the opportunity, you know, we were a a couple hundred dollars short of being able to enroll in this Rachel Yemo scholarship, you know, afforded us the opportunity to go to school. It's an incredible thing. So, and then they go on to do great things too. And there's this really cool story. We, 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 we don't really have this platform where we hold a gala or fundraiser every year. We have this really unique model, which is a huge portion. And I left this out, but <clears throat> not intentionally. Our model is not to have a big gala or, you know, we don't have a huge fundraising team um, that brings in money every year. Rachel actually gives a huge portion of the proceeds from her businesses to help fund the charity so you may see this little like this little burst sticker on a lot of her um cooking equipment or baking equipment and it says a portion of the proceeds from this you know product goes to support the yummo organization so she's seeded this you know organization from day one and even to this day gives up a big portion of proceeds to help continue to fund this organization but the one event we did do, it was, we kind of went all out with it, but we got five high school students from around the country and we had connected them with Chef Michael Simon and they all came to New York and we did this one night only, very high ticket, fancy event. Um, you know, President Clinton was there and a lot of like, you know, well-known chefs. It was pretty cool. And Michael Simon took these five high school kids, shopped with them at the farmer's market, took them to a few restaurants to see the, you know, behind the scenes operation. And some of the producers from Rachel's daytime television show had found a lot of these kids. And there was this one girl named Aria at the time who was 
maybe she was a sophomore and she didn't have a computer internet or anything. I think she grew up in Idaho. And so, you know, a television show producer, they're like on it, you know, like they email you, they want to hear back like right away. They got a a show to produce. Ari didn't have any of this. So Ari would have to run to her local library like multiple times a day to keep checking her email to see, you know, all this stuff. And she was an incredible baker. She had like a wedding cake business. Like when she was in high school, it was pretty amazing. And then we awarded all of these five students with a $10,000 scholarship each, which her and her mother had broke down because she, similarly to some of the stories I was sharing with you, she at the time, you know, was deciding if she was going to be able to go to school or not. And she almost didn't, like literally she was like days away from saying, can't do it, can't afford it. So she was able to go to school and I still keep in touch with Aria to this day, 15 plus years later. And she always said, you know, in the few years after that, once a year, at least we would keep in touch. She would say, when you get married, I'm doing your wedding cake. Sure enough, my wife and I got married in 2015 in Santa Barbara, California. Ari at the time was a pastry chef at a hotel in Palm Springs. She had a relative who lived near Santa Barbara. She drove from Palm Springs to Santa Barbara and did our whole wedding cake. It was pretty awesome. That is an amazing story. And talk about an amazing opportunity for those five kids. I mean, that sounds like a once in a lifetime event. 100%. But also earlier to my point, like I think three or four of them wound up, you know, going into the industry and one of them had a change of heart, which is totally fine. And what happens, you know, if they still are in the restaurant food service space, we allow them to use the scholarship money. But it's one of the reasons why we love partnering with the NRAEF is because they kind of work with each school that they go to to make sure they stay in because look, there's career changers. People drop out of programs. And unfortunately, if you're going to go into law school, you can't use our culinary scholarship. So that's, you know, we use the NREF support to help kind of facilitate the process. Most of those kids went on to do uh, incredible things like in the food service space. And some of them, you know, thanked us and said, unfortunately, I'm not going to, you know, go that direction. Which yeah. Is okay. That's incredible. Um, well, going back to the first pillar, the cook pillar, you mentioned you work with school nutrition. So tell us a little more about what you do in that space. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like a happy accident, I guess I'll say, even though the school food service space is always necessarily a happy, you know, thing, there's a lot of challenges. <laughs> I happened to be on this trip with Share Our Strength at the time where we were touring, touring around different organizations that they have granted funds to. We happened to be at a school in the Bronx that was implementing their Breakfast in the Classroom program, which is another program that we had funded previously. And as we sat around this boardroom table in the school hearing from the principal and various key stakeholders that work with Share Our Strength and some other organizations around the city, I was struck by a conversation. There, there were some people from New York City, Office of School Food there. I was also struck by a conversation by uh, a gentleman named Joel Berg, who uh, heads up uh, an organization called Hunger Free America, used to be called New York City Coalition Against Hunger, is now called Hunger Free America 
Joel Berg's an incredibly passionate human. Hunger Free America runs the uh, USDA Hunger Hotline. So his organization kind of heads that up, which is an incredible resource as well. But I was struck by a conversation with Joel and with some of these folks from New York City Office of School Food. And it wasn't something we had talked about too much. Um, And we just all got really intrigued by it. Me for personally for reasons of why why don't these kids why can't these kids have more nutritious food on their plate every day Rachel from a sense of similar similar to that thought I had additionally she firmly believes school food is the only level playing field we have to feed our children I mean, think about it. There's kids who depend on schools for not just for lunch, like for multiple meals. Like some kids need to get to school on time to have a breakfast, to have lunch, maybe to have a snack. It's for various reasons. Mom and dad both work. Mom and dad both work two jobs. Maybe it's only mom. Maybe mom works two or three jobs. Mom needs to get to work. Mom can't afford food. So she needs to get you to school to make sure you can, you know, have a meal. We just started, you know, having meetings and being in communication. This this journey with school food started with, with New York City. They're huge. You know, at the time, it was like 1,600 or so schools. I, I think they're still around that. And it was just meeting after meeting and us learning what they do, how they do it. Um, how can they use Rachel Ray's Yomo organization or the likeness, if you will, to maybe get some more nutritious food? And they were making huge strides, you know, like removing trans fats, not deep frying things like, you know, using more whole grains. Like they're often, if not always, ahead of the curve. The big ones a lot of the times are, by the way, the small ones as well, but you know, the, you know, the New York's, the LA's, the Chicago's, you know, Dallas, et cetera, et cetera. So we just continued these conversations and they had these special promotional days that they would do once a month at the time. I don't know if they still run them. And we did a Rachel Ray Yummo promotional day. And so we created a meal. It was like a Southwestern spiced roasted chicken with a corn and black bean salsa and a Southwest ranch, you know, dipping sauce and, it was in every single New York City school. It was a pilot, spacious pilot, but it was in every single New York City school on the same day. And it was really cool. And we created marketing materials and we had Rachel drawn as a cartoon character and we promoted it, you know, the week leading up to it. And we had kids who would eat half of a chicken leg. And then, you know, we, there's a story about a little girl who brought it home. And her mom was like, why did you bring this home? And she's like, because it's Rachel Ray's chicken. I wanted you to try it or, you know, something like that. It was really cute. From there, we created, worked with them to create a couple salads. We created a dish called Mac and Trees, which was a homemade mac and cheese recipe that used real cheese. It wasn't made from a bunch of processed, you know, junk. The trees were broccoli we put in there. We used a whole grain pasta. So it's just like we weren't going in there to like finger wag and yell at them. And that's always been our stance. It was like baby steps. Like if we could get you to use a little bit better ingredient and take just like a little step, like why not? You know, we would work with them and 
we would skim over their food orders and the food they had access to. And if they had, you know, they have tons of spices and seasonings and that's flavor. And you think about it, a lot of these kids go home and that's how they eat. So why would they want to come back, you know, to school and have a plain chicken cutlet thrown on a bun with nothing on it? So if we could spice it up a little, why not? And then from there, We've worked with Chicago Public Schools. Uh, we've worked with D.C. We did a whole program with the President Clinton's Alliance for a Healthier Generation. They have a healthy schools program. So we created about 10 recipes with them that all of their healthy schools that were part of the program had access to. Kind of sprung this journey into action. And I, since joined um, Chicago Public Schools, has a, a school food advisory group that I'm a part of. You know, we've worked with organizations like Food Corps that's in schools, teaching food education, um, an incredible organization. Um, they do a lot of advocacy work as well. And we work with Urban School Food Alliance, which, you know, started with just a few schools and now has increased to many more schools. And they've worked on various, you know, things from procurement to being a resource and giving tools to different districts. And it's mainly the bigger districts, as I was alluding to earlier, but it's some smaller districts too, or I think it's having those big districts be a mentor for a smaller district. There's smaller districts that are so powerful, but then there's some, you know, let's be honest. They say, we don't have the resources to do what you're doing, LA, you know, but you know, there are ways that they can assist and they can help and be a resource. So I'm all about being a chef by trade. It's like, find the solution, make it happen. You know, I'm all about like that, like in my personal and work life. So when some, when if I meet a smaller size district food service director that says, well, we can't do what Dallas is doing because of this. I'm like, but you can. Have you ever reached out to Dallas and asked them? No. Well, maybe you should try. Yeah, it's amazing how massive a an issue this is. I mean, I, you know, I was doing some research since the last time we spoke, and one in seven children in America doesn't have consistent access to food. And that's 11 million kids, but if you take that and just think about your typical classroom of, you know, 28 kids, let's say, that's four kids in every class that don't have access, consistent access to food. And that's not even counting access to nutritious food, right? So that's just kids without consistent access to food relying on school food. But then access to nutritious food, I mean, the number gets even bigger. So this is really impactful to a lot of children across America. And uh, one of the things I was struck by since we spoke last time was how relatively easy it is. So I'd love to hear a little more from you on you know, what are some of the the changes that are more simple that schools can make to increase the nutrition in their school programs? I could go a hundred different directions with this question. And I think I'll start with, like, if I'm a parent, look, I have, I have four-year-old twins, right? And when they start going to a more full-time school, you better believe I'm going to introduce myself and see what the food looks like. I get it and I have a passion for it. And if, if you're a parent that may not 
you may not give a heck, but it's a very easy thing to do. Like they're going to share what their food looks like or, you know, what you can do to help or what they may be working on. And, um, I've gone when my, you know, my nephew started going to public school. I went into his school and introduced myself and did the same and offered my assistance, but they're always happy to share info. They're always happy to let you know what they're up to. And there's a ton of uh, organizations out there that are doing good things. So I, I would say before you point fingers, learn what they're doing. They may be doing more than you think. And that just sounds like super basic and short, but it's it's true. I'm not posting on Facebook. My kid came home and said he had cold chicken. Like that that's that's not that's not helping your school. Maybe call the school and say, my kid said they had cold chicken. Can you share a little bit more, you know, about the food program? Or was it sitting there a while? Or is there a way to reheat it if she asks? Or is there another option? Because there's plenty of options in the school food space. They're, you know, it's, it's mandatory that they need to have options. So I would just say to be kind get involved, introduce yourself. If there is a PTA, like introduce yourself to the local PTA, see what they're doing about it, what they're working on. I think, you know, someone's always working on something or able to do something, you know, to, to assist. I'm not, you know, I apologize because I'm not giving a clear cut, like, here's what you need to do. You need to go into the school and ask for this person because, you know, but look, we're all human and, don't get me wrong. Like there may be someone who part of my French doesn't give a crap about school food, but if you do like maybe you and some of the other parents can, can do something, you know, if there's a local organization that's granting out funds to start a salad bar, you know, program in schools, like maybe you could get them to put it in your school. So there's, there's a lot of different, you know, things happening and those salad bar programs are real one of our other programs is wellness in the schools wits they're more new york jersey based but they've done a ton of work in other cities and states and you know they've been in the west coast we did a, we did a great program with them in novato california and you know as i mentioned urban school food alliance they have some really interesting procurement things coming up too and there, there's always something going on out there I think it's just sometimes easier for people to complain than it is to learn a little bit more because it's not it's not an easy thing. It's not brain surgery, but like the school food space is not an easy thing to navigate, especially when you're having to order for hundreds or thousands of kids three months out. And we all hear, hear the glorious supply chain dilemmas, but it's a real thing. What about expense? You know, there's a lot of talk in the school food space about budgets and um, making sure that, you know, they're hitting certain targets. I mean, is it more expensive to do things this way? I would find the people that are doing good work to see what they're doing. There's a gentleman named Dan Giusti who has an incredible organization called Brigade. He's worked in some various school districts, you know, New London, Connecticut. He's doing one in Denver right now, and he's expanding to other. And he brings, like, real proper chefs into school food service to kind of, like, fine-tune and clean up the operation. Dan was the head chef of Noma Restaurant 
in Copenhagen, which was the number one restaurant in the world. So I'm telling you about a guy who was the head chef at the number one restaurant in the world that left to work in school food. So imagine what he's teaching, inventory, how to clean, how to keep your walk-in refrigerator orderly, how to wash and prep your food. And this is how all this stuff starts. This is how school food starts. Yeah, one of the uh, other things that stuck with me from our last conversation was just the addition of, of spices or fresh herbs in food and just making that small little tweak that can go a long way in terms of impact on taste and doesn't necessarily add a lot on the expense side, right? Just switching out what you're currently doing to some bolder spices can really make a big impact. Yeah, 100%. And I do want to get to that in flavor because I could talk about food and cooking all day, but I do want to take a step back to finish out a thought that um, you were asking about in terms of like costs and things like that. As I was mentioning, the system is a, is a little messy and there's like a dollar in change per meal that schools have or get the reimbursement for from the federal government. And that's not a lot of money. And a lot of times that includes or all the time that includes labor. It's a reason why, you know, students get textbooks. I'm not saying they shouldn't get textbooks, but there's a big massive contingent of people advocating for universal free school meals. It's been passed in New York City, so all of New York City gets universal free school meals. I believe either LA and or all of California recently passed it, and there's a number of other states and in, in cities that have it as, as well. Not, not a ton, but a number, and it's a hugely important thing we essentially had universal free school meals for a good portion of the pandemic for obvious reasons. This is something that can be figured out, can be like a massive game changer in the school space. Schools won't have to worry every day, some of them about being in the red. Kids won't have to worry about being embarrassed to go in a certain line to get a certain meal, showing up on time to hit a cutoff. It affects attendance. It affects grades and test scores i mean it 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 affects behavior like this universal free school meals the implications or the, the the impact that it can have is just really really massive so we fought to get universal free school meals in new york city with a group called lunch for learning it was kind of a coalition we fought to get universal free school meals for all students and we only wound up getting it first for elementary. There's about 100 plus names and organizations, not just, you know, Rachel and Yummo. And then we did a big petition to try and get it. And it failed. And then we kept lobbying and going and, and, and it passed. And I'm not saying we're the only ones. I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm more so saying we're happy to be a part of it. But I say that because... If you fight for something that you want in your kid's school or your city or your state or the country and, and it doesn't work out, don't don't give up, you know, like if you truly care about it. We, we could have, you know, like, look, like, let's be honest, Rachel's a, 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 a nationwide name, a global name. And sometimes with that comes expectations on both sides. But when we fight for something... We'd like to think we're going to win because we put a lot of power into it and thought and muscle. And 
and we didn't. And it's a bummer, but we also like got up the next day to continue to fight for what we believed in, which was this universal free school meal. So I say that whether it's school meals or whether it's another cause that you are working in, in in schools, don't just stop because maybe the principal said, no, sorry, we're not giving more recess time, whatever it may be. Like, keep going, you know, find a way. So, so New York City schools wound up passing universal free school meals, and now we're about to join another coalition that's going to work to uh, pass universal free school meals for all of New York State. Is it going to be some advocacy work and Rachel writing a couple letters to a governor or things like that, and then it passes? It would be nice, but truth be told, it's going to take you know more work than that, most likely. So I did want to touch on that with you. Yeah, I think that's important. Like you said, generally, you know, don't give up. Find a way. California will become the first state, so it is statewide, to implement nationwide or statewide, excuse me, universal meals. And so it has been that way since the pandemic. Uh, the state gave grants and also there were federal grants. But as of next school year, it will be going forward, you know, irrespective of those pandemic funds. And so that's huge. They, I was reading um, some research that schools, it, for kids who eat um, breakfast in the morning, their test scores are like 17.3% higher having eaten a breakfast, right? So it's that yeah. simple of an impact oh, yeah. that you can have by just one meal in the morning. Um, so it just oh, yeah. shows you. It's incredible. That's a real thing. I mean, we worked with Share Our Strength for many years on their breakfast in the classroom program. Yeah. We worked with them on a whole, they had two proof of concept states. One was Maryland, one was Arkansas. They worked with local and state officials. We created toolkits to, to put out to other states. And Share Strength has always been a huge proponent of this. And the, the, the numbers, the statistics, the benefits are, are truly incredible. I mean, we've done, you know, we had Rachel up on stage talking to like a, a principal's association. We've written letters to like mayor's alliances and things like that. And these are things we do behind the scenes that not everyone knows Rachel does but she does. And those are the, you know, some of the, a lot, a lot of these things are what, you know, makes the difference. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. And if I think about PTAs and PTOs, you know, that's really the link between parents and the school. So the school administrators are working with the district administrators on the, these programs and they, they may or may not be super involved in the, the meal program. But really, the PTAs and PTOs are that link between the administration and the parents and so are a great group to advocate for change. And I, I like your tips about educating yourself first, right? Just start with asking those questions like, what are you doing? And start from a place of being really open and just figuring out what's going on and then figuring out where you can take action. And when you take action, don't give up if at first you don't succeed back to things you learn in kindergarten. Right. But if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And that definitely uh, applies here. And so I think that's a really important takeaway. And then I think that, um, you know, looking at what resources are out there. I mean, you rattled off a number of organizations and we'll, we'll share some in the show notes, but there's a lot of organizations out there doing different things. There isn't only one way to make change or make an impact here, but as we shared, the impact can be really broad. So 
Um, I think it's a important area for PTAs and PTOs to look at in their schools or in their districts. Um, what is one of the best school lunch meals you've seen out of this program? Ours. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the, the pilot one in New York? <coughs> yeah. That, I mean, that pilot one is always going to like hold a special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. And after the like budgetary kind of related question you asked about the spices, yeah, I went back to the budget, but going back to that, I just, look, it, it's so important. Just think of the different cultural uh, associated meals that, that kids eat at home, whether it's an Asian dish or a Latin inspired dish or French, whatever it may be. Food's so powerful you know, and it, it's so important. So I think these kids were just so struck when they went into school in New York City and got this like black bean dish that was, you know, with roasted corn that was spiced up with chili powder and cumin and paprika and, you know, this this chicken that was roasted on the bone with sprinkled with a, a Cajun rub and this it wasn't ranch dressing poured out of a bottle. It actually had spices and fresh herbs to it. So these are just, uh, it's something that these kids maybe eat at home that carries over into school or happens, or maybe they don't eat it at home. Like, look, let's be honest. There's kids who have a bag of chips for dinner. You know, it's real. So maybe school, they're learning about this and coming home and wanting their mom to buy black beans or to make beans and rice or beans and corn or this dressing. And that's a real thing too, where we hear a lot about kids that come home and they're educating their parents about some of the food they're eating in the lunchroom or, you know, some of the things about food or nutrition that they're learning in terms of the little food education we have in schools. That's also a a real thing too. So we could focus on the bad, the bad, the bad, but there's also a, a lot of good happening out there. And it's something just going off on a tangent here, just in general. And I'm guilty of it too. Look, I'm a chef by trade. I like to try everything, but there's definitely things I don't love. And so what's going to happen? My four-year-old twins probably aren't going to be able to try those things I don't love. So I try and challenge myself and say, what could they, or maybe should they be trying that they're not because my wife and I don't incorporated into our diet and I'm going to just I have a cousin who you know I posted a something with green beans or my kids eating green beans and you know she texted me saying "Ooh, can I have that recipe um I I dislike green beans and I wonder if my kids will eat it and I was like well have you have you given them green beans and she's like no because I hate them and I was like well how how are you going to know if your kids ever like them or going to eat them if you hate them and don't feed them? And that's a real thing too. Rachel's gone and spoke to schools like early on in the game here. We used to go and have like a parent night where there'd be hundreds of parents like in a cafeteria and we'd just be talking to them and they would ask us questions and time and time again, they would say, I hate vegetables and therefore I don't cook them and I don't know how to cook them and how should I give my kids, how should I get them into my kids? And so these are all, I mean, we love that though, you know, like that's where Rachel shines. So um, yeah, that crossover with home eating into school and or school eating into home and that can mean so many different things, you know. 
yeah, exposing kids to flavors in general, I think is just like a, a huge thing and something I always talk about. You know, I, I post pictures of my kids eating food that people are like, how do your kids eat that? I'm like, because I put it in front of them. You know what I mean? Like if they say yucky once, I, I'm not going to never put it in front of them again. I'll have it nearby. You know, the, the best thing for me is like as a chef who used to work in kitchens, you know, you taste food out of a pot and I, I started doing that with my kids. You put the food on their plate, but sometimes once I'd make a little pot of noodles or whatever it may be, once it's cool, I'll, I'll just like put it on the table between them. And then they just start picking it out of there. And I'm like, see, like they weren't eating it off of their plate, but now they're like sitting there. I was just taking a, a good old chef trick, but you know, it's just always exposing them. If they grab, I always give this example, you know, I used to seat our kids at our Island in our kitchen and their little chairs. And if they grab for the lemon, I'm not going to say, no, don't eat that. Cause then what's going to happen every time they see a lemon, they're going to think, no, don't eat that. Look, we don't eat lemons like apples over here, but if they want to put it up to their mouth and lick it or smell it, go ahead. You know? Yeah. I think that's, it's a powerful point because school is all about education and opening our children's minds to new and different things. And that doesn't stop in the lunchroom, right? That there's a continuation of that education. And it's a good point. We all have filters that we use in our home lives and we bring those filters to our children, but school is an opportunity for them to see beyond some of those filters that we may not even recognize we have. hundred percent. So inquiring minds want to know, do you cook your mom's sauce at home? Uh, I've tried like a hundred times to recreate it, but it's like, look, my mom used to make me like a toasted bagel with cream cheese and wrap it in a paper towel and send me off to school sometimes. And I can't even recreate that. You know, (laughs) it's something about my brothers and I always talk about this, something about how our mom used to like butter the bread or cream cheese and it never tastes the same when you do it, but I still should try and recreate that sauce. You know, a funny story, I, I have uh, my own podcast I do on the side called Beyond the Plate. And one of our guests uh, a couple seasons ago was Molly Ye from Food Network. And Molly Ye and I grew up in neighboring towns in the suburbs of Chicago. And when I was asking her about growing up and who was into food in her house, she was talking about her mom, how she took a cooking class at the Botanic Gardens. And I was like, wait, my mom took a cooking class. And we started talking about that sauce and we never like put the pieces of the puzzle together if our moms were in the same cooking class. And I've got to be able to recreate that sauce because it it was sherry, it was orange, it was garlic, ginger, you know, so like I know everything that was in there. I just need to like, you know, find the right amounts. But my brothers and I, my brothers still joke with me because as a snack after school and for meals, I would literally just pour this sauce over rice and my mom would be like, what do you want for dinner? I'd be like rice and sauce. And my brother's still, you know, to this day, 30 plus years later, like what even for dinner, rice and sauce. I'm like, I would if I had it. Right. <laughs> so where can people go to find out more about Yemo? Um, you could go to our website, uh, yum-o.org. It's yum-o.org. I don't think we have like a full, we're not updating the Yummo site, you know, daily or weekly. There's also the Rachel Ray Foundation. So two different philanthropic efforts that we have. I would say the best thing to do, to be quite honest, is follow Rachel, you know, on on social media, on Facebook or Instagram at Rachel Ray, um, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, R-A-Y. 
Um, I also post on my personal Instagram, which is on Cappy's plate, but we tend to like do a lot behind the scenes and let our partners put out, you know, press releases and things like that if they want to, but we, we try to keep our head down, stay busy. And I, I, I guess I would say the best thing to do is to check out some of our partners, to be honest, in terms of some of the work we do. And I've rattled off a bunch, you know, for you, but in terms of food education, look at wellness in the schools, look at food core, look at urban school food Alliance when it comes to food procurement and school food in terms of childhood hunger, feeding America and share strength is going to be a great resource on a national level. And then in terms of that scholarship program, the national restaurant association, educational foundation, and you'll find information about their pro star culinary program, but you'll also find information if someone listening has a student at their school or a son or daughter or whoever it may be that's looking to get a scholarship, you could find that on the NRAEF's website because there's a whole deadline for applicants and things like that. So, and there's a number of other organizations and resources. If I probably name most of our, you know, partners, but we have plenty more, and I'm happy to to share those. But I always, if someone says we want to volunteer with you or we want to work with you, I guess I'll say I'll end it where I could have started it. We didn't start to to create something new. We didn't want to reinvent the wheel. There was great people and organizations already doing great things. And we just wanted to partner and join forces and shine a light on them and maybe help them go a little further, you know, with an existing or new program or project. So, you know, and since we've started over 15 years ago, you can imagine there's even more organizations. So we didn't start to say, let's have the best nutrition education program. There was quite a number of people had that had an incredible nutrition education program. And so we just kind of did our due diligence and went from there. Well, it's been wonderful having you on our show today. This is such an impactful area that touches every student across the nation. And so we appreciate you sharing the resources, sharing some tips and sharing all your wisdom. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you all for doing what you do. And I think you know, part of this is creating that awareness and giving this platform of this podcast for people to have, you know, the resource. So thank you. Make sure to visit our website at themultipurposeroom.school to subscribe to this show. If you like the topics on this show, we share additional resources on our company blog at www.k12clothing.com. We'll see you next week in the multi-purpose room.